Welcome to the MVP podcast. We are focusing on sexual harassment and what can be done and is being done to tackle it. I'm Keith McKenzie, one of the National Development Officers for Mentors and Violence Prevention for Education Scotland, and I'm going to hand you over to my colleague. Hi, I'm Angela McDonald from Education Scotland, I'm responsible for the MVP programme. And I'd like to welcome to our podcast this afternoon, Sam McPherson, who works with the Rosie Project in Glasgow. Welcome, Sam. Hi. Lovely to have you on board. We first met you through professional learning with one of our local authorities and we thought it would be really great to hear about the work of the Rosie Project. I'm sure Mm -hmm. some of our practitioners in schools are aware of the the great work that you do. Others won't be, so um, it'll be a great opportunity. We also have um, within the MVP programme a scenario on sexual harassment. Obviously much of what we do covers you know, challenging gender-based violence. So it's a great link for us to kind of have you today talking about the work you do and maybe just helping to kind of give our practitioners and our young people more information about sexual harassment. So I hope that will be a good conversation today. Do you want to tell us a wee bit about the Rosie Project for those people who don't know, you know, what you do and what your role there is? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm Sam McPherson and so I'm a, I'm actually... I have a couple of different roles. So I'm actually a support and advocacy worker with the Rosie Project and a prevention worker um, for East Britain. So the Rosie Project in general is the young person's project based within Glasgow and Clyde Rape Crisis Centre. Um, and in that project, we support young survivors um, of sexual violence aged 13 to 25. We do one-to-one emotional support um, and advocacy support. We do group support, therapeutic group support. We do youth groups and we've got a young person's participation project, which is um, a group of kind of young activists who are survivors who came through, have come through the Rosie Project and do kind of research projects or um, activist Mm -hmm. campaigns. We've had people speak at Holyrood, loads of different things. Um, But a big part of it is our prevention workshops in schools and youth groups so within that that's part of my role Um, and we go out to schools youth groups and deliver prevention uh, workshops looking at preventing sexual violence in all different types of forms. That's really interesting so a huge range of work yeah you know so the prevention arm as you say that working with schools and youth groups but then also the the direct support to to young people that are being survivors of of, um, sexual violence how many young people are kind of at any one time are involved in the the Rosie project you know in terms of the, that direct support and group work oh so i mean so many it's really it's actually really hard for us to kind of gauge it i mean i think we supported about 40 odd survivors say for example in like 2019 it's probably a better reflection since it's obviously with lockdown everything was really yeah. good um but like maybe one to one kind of emotional support kind of up to like 40 young people in that year um, in that kind of emotional one-to-one support group we try and run a couple of groups a year usually when we're not when we've not got the restrictions that we have at the moment and we have like kind of roughly about 10 kind of survivors in those groups we also with the participation work as well because that's young survivors that have come through the service sometimes we've got kind of like up to a group of kind of 10 young people involved in that sometimes it's kind of like anywhere between five and ten people involved in that as well there's a lot we've actually got a really long really long waiting list at the moment which is actually quite 
quite difficult because I think mm-hmm. like a lot of other projects, it's, we've had a lot of referrals over lockdown. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've had the kind of horrible combination of not being able to, having to adjust the service we provide and not be able to do the in-person thing that we usually would at the same time as an increase in referrals. Um, so yeah, it's been been quite a difficult time that way but we've got a we've got a lot of demand for the emotional support side which is sad but also good that it's there mm-hmm. and where do your referrals tend to come from sam um we act we get them all over we get a lot of police referrals um right. so a lot of police referrals social work kind of medical professionals we also get um a lot of referrals from education so there's been referrals from schools um, come in as maybe young people who have disclosed we'll probably talk a bit more about that kind of stuff but yeah a lot of kind of referrals coming in um, from schools so it's a lot we've, we've got direct referral pathways from um, Police Scotland and it comes in through the National Office as well so lots of different referral sources um, yeah a lot a lot of it a lot of it police based education and kind of health professionals yeah and are young people able to self-refer to they are yeah 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 a lot of the time yeah a lot of the time we've got when we have self-referrals we do have a lot of self-referrals and uh something that we noticed over lockdown was we started doing um kind of text and text and whatsapp um line in place of just having the helpline as well as like an additional thing because we found Mm -hmm. that young people were quite and were preferring to kind of message rather than talk on the phone and we had a lot of Mm self-referrals come through that way um as well yeah, it's really interesting. It's just sometimes just being responsive to the different communication methods young people prefer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, back yeah. in the day it was chatting on the phone, but things have changed now, mm-hmm. and um, they 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 do things a wee bit differently. Yeah. As you say, it's it's quite sad to kind of hear about the big waiting lists and and the demand. Mm-hmm. Although great that your service is there. You've mentioned this a wee bit, but could you tell us a wee bit more detail about the kind of support that young people who come to your project who have experienced sexual violence kind of typically need or are looking for? Yeah, so it's a lot of times a mixture between emotional support and advocacy needs. So sometimes we get um, people referred to us, or young people referred to us, who are going through maybe the reporting process. Um, with the police and have kind of social work and police involvement maybe going through the criminal justice system so within that we offer we have a specific project in the centre that offers advocacy work throughout the whole process of like reporting a statement you can have someone with you right through the criminal justice system um, so there's that part there's the advocacy needs that part that um, but there's also the emotional support where it's like we see obviously everybody's experience is different um, and nobody's experience of kind of trauma or gender-based violence looks the same but there are like common impacts um of it that we kind of see and so a lot of the time it's kind of talking about um like body image issues or like kind of eating disorders a lot of the impacts like dissociation and post-traumatic stress disorder depression anxiety a lot of the time when we speak because we've got projects that um the rosie project work specifically with universities as well as kind of schools so we've got projects with university students as well. And you see a lot with school and university of not being and kind of issues staying within the education system and with the impacts of kind of the trauma that they've experienced. So it's like offering that kind of support and support always sounds like quite a vague word, but that there's a reason we use it. And it's because we kind of, we're really survivor centered. So 
if someone comes to the Rosie Project for support, emotional support, it's we respond to their needs and their communication styles. So everybody's going to be different. Some people come mm. and they want more of a kind of ask, ask kind of creative visual way to start opening up those emotions and opening up those issues. Some people have totally different communication styles and need something maybe that's a bit more structured. Um, yeah. And so we kind of have a more structured format to work through. And some people just really want the space to talk about what's happened to them. But I would say because of the age of um, young people we work with, a lot of the time access to like um, that emotional language isn't quite there yet. Sometimes it's hard, like it's not a familiar environment to just sit in a room with somebody and talk about feelings if you if you yeah. can't quite name them or access them. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. And a, and a, a huge kind of range of support required. And as you said earlier, I think everybody's experience of of um if they've if they've experienced sexual violence, everybody will need something different from that. And, mm -hmm. and you'd obviously as a programme be able to respond to that. And we'll come on a wee bit later because we did want to ask you about how schools can respond to mm -hmm. people when they have disclosures and or they mm -hmm. have um issues um arising in school. In terms of sexual harassment, which was our kind of general kind of area we wanted to focus on today mm -hmm. because a lot of over lockdown there's been quite a highlight uh, lots of um, media interest in it as a topic and um, lots of research has come out in the last couple of years what's your kind of definition of what sexual harassment is and, and what kind of behaviors constitute sexual harassment so we would kind of view sexual harassment as like any unwanted sexual attention verbal or physical anything um for somebody so I guess, like, although we're focusing on sexual harassment, it's maybe helpful to say that, like, as the Rosie Project, because we support survivors of sexual violence, we see sexual violence on a spectrum. So it's just right from kind of that sexual harassment or generalised, like, jokes and hurtful yeah. comments and things right through to kind of, like, rape and sexual assault. So, like, sexual harassment is sexual violence. So it's like, that is part of the way we approach things. So if we do see, we support people who have experienced sexual harassment. Um, and it's important to think about that violence as like to violate someone or to have the impact on someone rather than to just, just maybe what we think of this idea of like a physical thing. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, like sometimes we find it quite helpful when we're talking to people, it's just like, that's how we view it. Um, but yeah, so it's like that any sort of, unwanted um sexual tension and yeah that can be kind of verbal or physical or anything like that we also would include a lot of kind of lgbtqia plus like hate crimes in that or like right. um, and homophobic kind of terms terminology and like um and bullying and stuff because a lot of that comes that can involve like a, a sexual element in that mm -hmm. i suppose that one's quite uh, quite nicely if you want to call it that into our kind of scope of violence uh, piece of work that we mm -hmm. do within when we're, the mentors are working with the, the mentees within the MVP project because obviously we look at the scope of violence because mm -hmm. sometimes young people might just uh, think it's physical because we want to talk about violence but we look at we look at the whole scope of that and I suppose that kind of fits exactly what you're saying as well I suppose that mm -hmm. kind of leads on quite nice on the next question is like do we have a clear idea of the scale of the problem in Scotland do you think I think that there's like a couple of ways to answer that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so like we are gathering a good picture of right. a good is the wrong word, isn't it? 
um, a clear, quite a clear picture of like the fact that it that is a huge problem, especially with like young people in school and university experiencing harassment. Um, and so like I don't know if you guys uh, saw it, but the girl guiding girls at girls attitude survey, um, yeah. I think it was like 2017. Yeah, they they had something like like 64 somewhere between 64 and 70 percent of girls aged 13 to 21 experiencing sexual violence um, or harassment at school or in college mm. in that last year so like that's re- yeah. that like we've got stats and we've, we've got more kind of surveys being done that give a good idea or a clear idea of the fact that it's a massive issue but the other way of responding to that is it's not really a clear picture as much as, or maybe an accurate picture because it's so underreported. So mm-hmm. people, a lot of the time, young people don't feel like they can kind of disclose for many different reasons, not fear of not being believed, um, fear of kind of repercussions and ways things could come back on them, worries about um, maybe like once, almost like once they've said it, what happens then? Is it taken away from them? They don't have control over what happens mm-hmm. beyond that anymore. Um, yeah. And and the fact that if you were to pursue something and it maybe goes further the conviction rate for any sort of sexual violence harassment through to assault is so low that it's yeah. such a difficult process and so like there's so many different ways and yeah of looking at it but the two ways are kind of like we're building a clearer picture of the fact that it's a big issue but it's not I don't think we're building an accurate picture of quite how much of an issue it is with the underreporting for many reasons You've kind of answered my second question there, but can I follow oh. on? No, no, it's good. Why do you think? Why do you think young people uh, don't report it in schools, and specifically, or do you think mm-hmm. they're underreporting in schools? Because that's that's for me is quite interesting. When as a guidance teacher, obviously, I'm quite keen on supporting young people. So mm-hmm. having young people being able to speak to us is really important. But I'm just wondering, have you have you got a good insight, or have you have young people maybe spoke to you about why might they not report it in schools? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. There's like that almost like the the way I used to talk about it's like macro and micro issues, <laughs> like on the scale. So it's like you've got that bigger issue with society and everything like that, and like mm-hmm. lack of kind of almost like this general lack of empathy for people who have experienced this. Going straight to or like oh that doesn't happen here, or we don't have that in this environment. Um, why didn't you say something at the time? Like all these kind of attitudes they yeah. play out in on a kind of more like when I talk about the macro micro and like the micro scale but they that the kind of societal issues that way they play out in schools in whatever you, in universities whatever your environment is and so you've still got those like many issues with like the power dynamics as well and mm-hmm. so if you don't maybe if you don't see your school taking a really kind of almost like very explicit stance on like things like gender equality within the school and very obvious like signposting to teachers who have um, experience and know how to respond to disclosures and even just like signage around schools all these kind of things it's like we talk about it like a whole school approach to this and if you can hear that language you can hear people talking about it you can see campaigns you can and um, see the school being explicit about kind of just wanting general equality within yeah. all different areas that provides an environment where young people are more likely to disclose so if you don't see that that in itself can be a barrier let alone all the individual things that we know yeah. with the power dynamics with pupil groups with perpetrators 
um, with kind of maybe maybe previous experience of having someone not 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 believe them or like or have the what I would say is like often we say like oh there's no right and wrong I actually think there is a kind of right and wrong way to, right. to respond to disclosure and so if you don't come with empathy and the person coming first um, and you show any sign of like not believing them or questioning them or blaming them that is the wrong way to, to, yeah. to kind of respond to that so when we talk about those kind of barriers to young people talking about it it's like you've got the kind of yeah in kind of summary to that ramble you've got like the societal issues and um, that everyone's kind of aware of where you see it in like the media and things like that about people not being believed and um, people turning it into like oh false allegations all this kind of stuff but then you've got that in that school environment of like that's tears that's your that's like it could be someone else in the school that's kind of harassed you in that way you might not know if there's a clear teacher that has um that would be able to understand kind of where you're coming from or if you see a kind of the culture of the school is it hasn't mm -hmm. been kind of explicitly like it's kind of focused on equality and um, then that can again create an environment where people just maybe don't think it is actually a safe place to talk and that's not physically safe that's emotionally a safe place to talk about things yeah it's it's so important that in schools that we have these open conversations mm -hmm. isn't it that you know young people are aware of the issue but also you know it's as you say that it that it's visible that it's um that it's something that the they've had space to to reflect on um, mm -hmm. I, I when i was writing the sexual harassment scenario for mvp with a group of young women from two different high schools in scotland and what really struck me when i went in to speak to them there were senior mentors working with mvp already and I said I wanted to chat about sexual harassment and, and looking at a new scenario because we, we knew it was an issue. And they, many of them looked at me and said, oh, really interested, but that's not really something that's ever happened to us. I said, OK, mm -hmm. so we started talking through some of the research and some of the behaviours that, that young people talked about. And within five or ten minutes, it just was a, you know, an, an explosion of mm -hmm. realization that, oh, yeah, yeah. This is, yeah, that did happen to me. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that time that I had to walk home a different way. And do you remember in school when this happened? And, and before you know it, there's this kind of um, light bulb moment where yeah. they actually realize because you've given them permission and you've helped them explore. And I think a huge part of it seems to be that it's such a normalized experience for many young people and particularly young girls as we know that it, it doesn't even occur to them to to go to somebody or that they can that it's not okay yeah i think that you're right with that like normalized behavior and if, if we just if it's kind of left unaddressed or there's almost like a culture of even like i'm not obviously i'm not going to talk about like individual schools or whatever but like even since doing the job that i've been doing you you do still hear some teachers saying things like oh boys will be boys and there's still those kind of comments happening even though schools are trying to kind of tackle that and it's like if you hear even those little things in the background that really creates your pick like a picture for you of what that environment's like or how you're going to be listened to if you do have something because yeah. um yeah it's like yeah if you're not hearing if you're not seeing people kind of have those open conversations if you're not hearing the kind of language then it's maybe not an environment you think you, you would feel comfortable yeah. talking or safe talking. And I guess that's where the prevention, I guess, 
with that, what we do with the prevention workshops, but also with MVP. That was so important, but also there's a level of responsibility and that you do often find that actually maybe people are having those light bulb moments as you're talking about things. And there's a level of responsibility there for keeping people safe as well, because there will be maybe people who are both reflecting on their own behavior in a way that's like, oh, I didn't know that wasn't okay, but also mm-hmm. reflecting on their own experiences. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that that's why I yeah. felt like that. It's not okay. So it's like, you've got a couple of different kind of things going on that I think as like mentors or as facilitators, you there's a sense of responsibility there of keeping people safe as well. I was going to say that's really important for our practitioners when we're talking about the MVP programme, because if they are delivering or sexual harassment or any of our scenarios within um, the school environment or within their youth clubs and, and groups. There is that, as you say, that that both sides where young people and again, young women in particular may recognise themselves as having experience of that um, as a victim, but also other young people might recognise that they, there are behaviours that they've um, participated in that they're now reflecting on. Oh, actually, that wasn't okay. And mm-hmm. you know, and and both the, both those parties, both those groups of young people need support, different support maybe, but they both need kind of some support within the education system to to support them and address that. And that's where the the lack of like sometimes the lack of kind of education historically in about kind of consent or about like sexual harassment mm. or normalized behaviors in that way stereotyping and stuff and um, play a plays a big part in that a lot of people when you're you can see they're kind of on their faces when you're talking about these things that maybe they didn't almost always think of the impact of what they're saying yeah. or doing on mm-hmm. someone and that's like an important thing to kind of create space for that as well absolutely on what you're saying actually i suppose it kind of comes back to me as a, as a practitioner but just as a person as well and I'm thinking me as a man it's like I'm interested in particular what men can do to make a positive difference in in, in this situation yeah um I mean it's really important that men are in a part like a part of the conversation because it's I mean statistically we, we do know that like sexual violence sexual harassment happens to all genders of people and mm-hmm. um, but we know that they're kind of stats are yeah. stacked heavily against <laughs> yeah. like the male kind of perpetrators. But what's important as well is like sometimes when you're talking about that, where it comes to like harassment or sexual violence, there are when you're talking about you kind know, of the gendered side of that, it's important to recognise that there are male survivors, but a lot of the time the perpetrators of, of kind of any sort of harassment or kind of um, assault on them were, were male too. So the male mm. kind of perpetrator yeah. part is quite important. And so I think like being kind of, I think the MVP stuff and alongside um, the same approach that the Rosie Project take as well, it's like looking at that bystander, looking at that, we've, we've all talked about that already, about the kind of normalised behaviours and changing attitudes and behaviours is the way to prevent kind of sexual violence in that, in that way and these uh, workshops do that. So it's like for men out there, for young men out there as well, it's like looking at, if you're hearing these jokes if you're hearing comments, if you're hearing somebody say, like, kind of they're making something, make like a sexual uh, kind mm-hmm. of comment towards somebody or insults, or they hear that kind of um, discussion, like happening in, a, in, a, in their peer group or in school, it's like having the, having that opportunity um, or taking that opportunity to not even, you don't even have to call it out, but like kind of drawing attention to it. I think like, I spoke to a young boy once, in, a young guy in, a class and 
he didn't he was saying that in his experience he, he didn't outright be like that's wrong don't do that because he felt like it might make him kind of the center of yeah something but he but he did say he did he did start saying like why is that funny <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was like oh <laughs> yeah because I mean that like straight away that's like you you're expecting I mean that puts that person on the spot of saying explain why that's funny well actually no it's not is it and so it's like there are lots of different ways that kind of people mm-hmm. can be involved that way but it's really important to have like allies and for yeah. men to see that because you're a lot of guys will hear that kind of discussion or those kind of comments sexualized comments and stuff happening away from maybe gender groups and so yeah sometimes it's important to be aware of like the power that you have as a man in a situation like that as you hear other men speaking in that way and the way that in general the way that people talk about women as well and you can you can hear that language and kind of calling out that language or I guess the way not calling it out calling it in I guess it is is having that conversation with people of having conversations with your peers being like right well what is it about that that that's funny to you kind of thing mm-hmm. um, or thinking about the impact it can have on somebody yeah so it's like uh, yeah I was just gonna say and I suppose for me that's that's something that's greatly changed in my life since starting the kind of MVP uh, journey if you want to call it that and mm-hmm. by no means I'm perfect or by no means I've probably I probably do speak out on every turn, but I've definitely now will quite happily challenge people or make start a conversation with somebody. Just like what you've said, I'm like, so what's funny about that? Or yeah, uh, been a couple of times I've said, what if this was like your sister or your mum that you that was photo joking about? Well, that's not the same. And I'm like, well, and then that, and that that opens up that discussion as well. So uh, yeah, it's been I I feel. I feel better equipped to deal with things now. And just, again, just listening to this and listening to yourself, I just re- reaffirms some of the the thoughts that I have, but also just gives me more confidence, uh, more confidence and try to challenge more things. So thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think like hearing you talk there, it's important as well. It's like sometimes we recognise that meeting people where they are is important. So like mm. we can we can stand and kind of say that's wrong or um, like you should almost like you should think this way. That's, that doesn't always help. It's like meeting people where they are. So for example, in that situation, if you, if your way to meet someone where they are is to, to, rem- to humanize with the women they're talking about or the comments mm-hmm. they're making by saying like, Oh, this is um, what if it was like just a story man, whatever that's mm-hmm. you meeting them where you are and then you can kind of bring them along with you because obviously ideally we would just be like well women are human beings they don't need you don't need to have that and yes. um, yeah that like kind of emotional attachment to someone to recognize that you shouldn't treat yeah. or speak about someone like that and um, but that's you kind of you can meet someone where they are and then bring them along with you rather than shouting at them from far from yes. afar and expecting them to come to you if that makes sense yeah yeah no it sounds it sounds great and when you're delivering your preventative side of um, your programmes in schools, what kind of responses do you get, particularly thinking about young men that we're talking about just now, mm-hmm. what kind of responses do you get from them? Would there be a, obviously a little different for class to class, but how are you finding, particularly in the current climate where there's a lot of discussion about gender equality and challenging of gender-based violence, but similarly, I find a lot of um, kind of pushback from that and a lot of challenging of whether women have equality or not. So how are you finding your preventative work that that, that gets kind of met, particularly by young guys? 
Yeah, it's interesting because we have prevention workers in every local authority area in Scotland. So um, everybody, everybody's experience is different depending on their area, I found as well. There are some like mm. common experiences and issues that like come through. I, I cover East Bren and so actually my experience has been sometimes quite different to a lot of other people I've spoken to. And I, I think there's a... I think some of the schools that I was working in have, they're very, they've tried really hard to um, push kind of the equality stuff. A lot of them are doing a lot of kind of like LGBT things as like Thai campaign uh, posters up, yeah. as like talking about um, consent more. And like some of those schools have started that work. And it seems like the schools that you see that in, it, it's very reflected in the responses you get. And the, the same, I think I've mentioned it before when speaking to colleagues, but the same as like schools that have, for example, had like MVP in for a long, a long time, like a couple of the schools in Renfrewshire I was in before um, mm -hmm. had kind of had a mentor program going for quite a while. That you get a very different response in that people are used to hearing the language. They're used to having those conversations openly. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of my, I've heard quite a lot of uh, colleagues recently have quite difficult experiences in schools. I think a lot of um, a lot of young men over over lockdown have spent a lot more time online, and yeah. there's been quite a lot of discussion in classrooms from some of my colleagues about uh, with young people, young men in particular, talking about kind of um, men's rights activism and uh, kind of incels and things like that. And I think that's causing quite it's causing quite a difficult environment, I think, to have these conversations because mm. it tends it's, it's tending to be dominated by that. And so, like, the whole, sometimes the workshop can be quite hard mm -hmm. um, if you get that dominating kind of voice because it becomes, it's hard to not let it become about that because you almost don't want to, you don't want to ignore it because it needs challenge yeah. and discuss. And you want people to feel like they can openly contribute, but you also don't want it to take up the whole space of this session where you want everyone to feel like they've got a voice and so it's, yeah. it's a definite thing that talking to colleagues who have maybe they've they've experienced it a little bit more than I have in the schools I've worked in and um, mm. particularly kind of post lockdown but like the definitely a kind of referencing of like forums and stuff online where there's a lot of discussion around rights activism and intel uh, and that that kind of attitude coming out it's like almost like, like a colleague recently was telling me that it felt like they they'd been told ahead of time that we were coming in and so they'd almost like prepared themselves ahead of time and so when you walked in it was like they had these their experience right from the start um a kind of hostility and like a right these come in with the attitude to try and prove you wrong rather than to hear what you want to mm -hmm. say you hear what you've got to say and hear what we're all going to say together um, yeah. and so that that can be quite hard I think to, mm. to, to navigate and um, because you're always aware of those like power dynamics in the classroom as well as making sure that maybe some of the quieter people a lot of the time sometimes you've got kind of maybe some of the younger pupils that like don't aren't as vocal you want to allow a bit of space for that and so yeah there's definitely I been just... increasing those kind of very vocal attitudes but almost like a right we've come prepared to try and dispute what you, you're going to say and that's something that I think has been different a lot of it a lot, to be fair a lot of it's using um, American legal system and stats and I don't know whether that's where it's coming from um, online but they'll kind of come with that with almost like as a way to disprove when you're talking about like the Scottish system and the kind of stats based in Scotland and in the UK 
they'll kind of come with, well, what about this? Especially with the false allegations um, discussions. Like false allegations mm-hmm. is something that has the whole time that we've been doing this work is something that keeps coming up. Um, and it's quite, it's quite an important thing, I think, sometimes to, to focus on um, because it is no more or less than any other crime. So it's an interesting thing that that's what people go to. Yeah, I mean, and we have some experience of that, yeah. just even delivering our professional learning or, or you know, delivering in schools also. Um, the kind of false allegations seems mm-hmm. to be something that people often, and sometimes with a really open mind, just because I've heard people saying it and, and you yeah. know, they're, they're, they're open to being kind of challenged about it. But um, it certainly is one that comes up quite regular. And it's interesting to hear you talking about the classroom dynamics, because that's where you know, you really need that power of the social norms, you know, how, mm-hmm. getting that across when young people are talking so that one one particular narrative doesn't sound like that's the way everyone's thinking mm-hmm. because it's not. Mm-hmm. And, and, and quieter mm-hmm. people who have, you know, sound values and, and the kind of, you know, attitudes that we're wanting to come to the fore and that they are not kind of quietened or scared off from, from bringing those out because of those kind of louder, sometimes more aggressive voices. But it's certainly something, Sam, that all your sayings reflected in feedback we yeah. I've often had from practitioners about mm-hmm. how you manage those conversations in the classroom and, and how we engage men and boys. Um, and we will be doing our next podcast. Um, is also is going to be about that very topic. So yeah. mm-hmm. um, that might be something hopefully will be of interest to you to listen to as well. Um, yeah. Just to kind of go back to take it back to um, young people who have experienced sexual violence and talking about the educational setting, what do they need from education staff when they have had that experience um, and that's been you know, discovered in school or been disclosed by the young person? What, what, what are young survivors telling you that they would like to hear their teachers or their youth workers saying and doing that will help them? Mm-hmm. It's actually, it, helpfully, um, we actually, the Rosie Project actually put together a guidance for schools that was it's all about responding to young people's experiences of sexual violence um and so we put together a guidance document that basically outlines almost outlines a kind of almost like a trauma-informed school like trauma-informed classroom approach um, and also a lot of it's informed by the the young people we work with and we support the young survivors and mm-hmm. we kind of talk about the best practice responses to sexual violence within the school so like a whole school approach to it and then we actually have given examples like almost like example phrases that you can mm-hmm. kind of go to um, because when I go in and do the workshop obviously I always ask the, teach- the teachers to give a brief outline of what I'm going to talk about ahead of time um, for anybody and then we can kind of talk about whether there are any people that feel like they don't want to be in the space um, but also we offer we always offer the support at the end and so mm-hmm. I think that's really important so like the kind of things we discuss in the guidance that we've kind of put together is like an example of kind of best practice responses being that you believing believing the young people and ensuring there's a non-judgmental approach to that and um, which sounds like you just that would be what you would expect but actually it's really easy to to say something that can be read as a judgment and um, even if you don't mean it and so it's like sometimes it can be really helpful to have these like go-to phrases um, and so it's like yeah believing survivors and ensuring that there's a non-judgmental yeah. approach uh, providing like further opportunities for disclosure like 
if someone has said something's happened to them, giving them the opportunity of a, of a space that they could go and talk about it if they want to. Um, I think it's something we always talk about is so important to be transparent about the processes and procedures. And um, so particularly for young people in school around confidentiality and sharing information, mm -hmm. because um, as much as you want that confidential space for the young person, you want them to feel safe and trust you. Um, you also have to be honest because you can't, it's never helpful. And something we've heard quite a lot from young survivors in school is that they felt like they had that taken away from them. Um, and so we understand that having control taken away from you um, is something that's a really difficult thing for a lot of survivors because of what they've been through. And so I get a feeling like that plays out again in a school, like they've told somebody in the novelty the school has a responsibility to act on it. Um, it depended on the age of the pupil, how it, what happened, risk factors. So it's really important to be explicit. And so we'll always explain the levels of confidentiality and sharing of information move, and doing that with with the young person, like with the pupil, so that they're never left behind and there's never stuff happening that they don't know about. Um, because obviously we do have a responsibility, a legal responsibility sometimes in that. So it's like making sure they know and it's not some, some they don't feel like it's being taken away. Um, something we talk about a lot is like making sure you move at the young person's pace. Um, so sometimes people have the tendency, and we've heard this a lot, like some teachers that just really care but if a, a kind of pupil discloses something, they want to just be like, right, what do we do now? Um, let's get this report, let's do this thing. And some mm -hmm. of that comes from the fact that there are policies and procedures you have to follow. But it's important when the actual discussion's happening is to move at that young person's pace. So you're not questioning constantly, yeah. trying to get information. That's not what you're there for. You're there to hear what's happened to them, hear what they want to say, and then discuss what happens next. It's, moving away from feeling like you need to get all the evidence as quickly as possible almost yeah. and so that that yeah that's something that we i can't almost can't emphasize that enough of like moving at the young person's pace and um, there's like putting measure, measures in place to support that young survivor um beyond as well so making sure you've got a space either a space for them to go and go and spend some time or you've got services ready that you kind of got a referral pathway to um, so that in their trusted services that are specialists um, so that you know if there are people that have to get involved the police or social work and all these things that this all has to happen that you've got someone that's an emotional support purely for that young person that's mm -hmm. not part of any of those systems that's so important because um, kind of trusted professionals and um, that are important and it, it can feel like it can sometimes feel like they're not on the person on the young person's side almost because they've got a legal responsibility to do things so making sure you've got yeah. somewhere to that you trust like a service you trust to refer to and um, can be so important but like on a on a like equally as as important for that for a survivor in, in a school that's disclosed to you if that's the way you're responding making sure you're non-judgmental and empathetic um, and being transparent about the level of confidentiality, just as important as that as that is like the, the that going back to that whole school thing. That, that that's an impact on the on the survivor as well, because that mm. kind of making sure you've got robust policies on how you deal with um, if there's a perpetrator in the same year group or class mm. as as a survivor. Is what do you do? What's your referral pathway? How do you discuss things? Um, these things, that kind of school, whole school thing is still just as important as um, the individual ways you respond to people. But yeah, there's definitely like little go-to phrases that we kind of often 
pass on that things like it's almost like like if you if it's going to an investigation for example it's kind of making sure the teacher can say things like you're here like we're here to support you regardless of the outcome of any investigation so we know that if something does have to go further if it gets dropped and things like that that doesn't matter you're still there for that person and you're like acknowledging that must have been really difficult for you like kind of how do you think it's affecting you now what do you need now kind of thing it's that like validating what you're hearing not judging somebody but like listening to their experiences um and so there are ways you can kind of talk about that with especially with um like i mentioned the need for sharing information you can kind of approach it more of a like kind of sometimes you have to share information for example if you're at risk or something like that um but i'll make sure that you're aware of what i'm sharing and who i'm sharing it with so that they're involved in that the whole time um, so yeah, it's that kind of, I don't know if that answers the question or I went off on one there, yeah, No, no, I, I think no, it's, it's loads of useful, really, yeah. really useful uh, information, especially for even experienced staff. I was just sitting there thinking <laughs> back to some of the situations I've been in, but that one, even just that conversation around moving at the, the young person's pace, I think that's so important. And I, th- and I think that comes to that caring side is you want to be there for them and making sure that they're and the rest it'll fall into place rather than worrying about right I need to do this this and this and this and it's almost like mm-hmm. you're kind of forgetting about the young person sitting in front of you and you just think oh I better get this checklist checklist and checklist and then that keeps me safe whereas in you've got a young person sitting in front of you disclosing quite sensitive like information and all they want yeah. is somebody there to sit and listen to you and I think mm-hmm. what you've just said there is really really good and I, I, I'm just thinking as well just You've mentioned about the the script that you've got developed. In mm. your, uh, I'll I'll try and put the link within the the blurb so people can link link to it if, as well. Mm-hmm. So if they want to find it. So yeah, no, thanks very much. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I think it's really great for schools to see, mm-hmm. you know, to think about that on the individual staff level and their kind of personal skills and their yep. empathy and being trauma informed, but also what the school policy practice and, mm-hmm. and kind of whole school approaches need to look like. And also then having those relationships with partners that can offer the kind of follow on support is, is really important um, and very much links into the MVP programme and Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about the whole school approach and and how you support young people and having that there so because very often when you start these conversations young people you you know you are giving them that safe environment hopefully to open up and you might Mm -hmm. see an increase in young people coming forward so you need to know what you're going to do with that and how you're you're going to be there for them and 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 refer them on if need be um so yeah that'll be really helpful to have that Sam yeah and definitely um on that same note uh we noticed that the more because when we introduced prevention workers that we expanded the project to every local authority area in Scotland we noticed Mm -hmm. an increase in referrals to those local Mm -hmm. centers from Mm -hmm. the workshop so that's that what do you do next type thing that's so mm-hmm. important and having that trust um but yeah i'm a there are like talking about that taking it at the in-person pace and stuff when someone discloses obviously they're like the other side of that as well as that's like the kind of emotional but almost like the first responder emotional support mm-hmm. side but there's the like practical things that sometimes te- teachers don't even realize you could kind of do that can help as well like making sure you you check it like how how do they get to school how do they get to school or get to a youth group is there a potential for like further harassment or mm-hmm. like um things like that do changes in transport need to be made is there something you can do to help with timings like altering times to and from school yeah. um thinking about registration like is that what happens there if there's a 
kind of someone in the school like things things like that um being kind of mindful of like contact during things like PE or um if just loads of loads of different things that are like conversations or like team sports and swimming and things like that lots of things that that can come afterwards that can build that can build a kind of a, a better outcome for the young person to allow them to stay in school as well and we, like obviously that's something you always want to do is to support someone to stay in school um, and uh, we've seen in the past people not be able to do that because they've not had the right support mm-hmm. and, and that then has a huge impact on yep. young people's mm-hmm. attainment and their you know ability to kind of move on and reach their mm-hmm. potential and and further education and employment so we need to be getting this right and in the yeah. school and education setting, don't we? Um, you have, just to be clear, there's there's um, prevention workers in every authority area, you were saying there. Um, they won't all be called the Rosie Project, though, will they? No. No, so they're na- they're sex- like the title of the job is sexual violence prevention worker. And mm-hmm. so there is a sexual violence prevention worker linked to a rape crisis centre in every local authority area. So... Um, if any or any schools anywhere want to get in touch about like workshops and stuff, you can do that through whatever the local rape crisis centre is. There is a there should be a, a, a sexual violence prevention worker based there. Um, and so with the Rosie project, that's the name of our young persons project because we've kind of mm-hmm. yeah. brought brought prevention and support together in our centre. But the centres are yeah. autonomous, so everyone kind of the centres have a slightly different approach. But the prevention works exactly the same kind of nationwide. Anything else, Sam, that you feel we've not asked that you feel would be important, you know, you do want to get across as a message or an important kind of aspect that we've not covered? Um, so I guess it's just I always like to like kind of wrap up when I'm talking about things like that in that just remembering it's like emphasising the person when they're talking to you about their experience, regardless of what your actual kind of legal responsibilities are child protection officer whatever it might be mm. that's just important and that will happen but just when that person is talking to you if you're a teacher that that young survivor is um, disclosing to ask them what they need to feel safe and what support mm-hmm. they want it's like listening and focusing on them and the rest has to happen but it doesn't have to happen in that moment and take away from what they're what they're telling you and that's mm. creating that environment so I guess like when it comes to just almost like emphasizing something, the the person being the, that pupil, that survivor of their disclosure being the center of that is really important. Um, and I guess the same as the same as the messaging with um, MVP with everything with our prevention work as well. It's like we need to kind of be addressing addressing that normalized. Um, when you talk about the kind of rape culture in general and um, normalized behavior, we need to be addressing those. We need people as allies. We need like men and boys to be involved in that. We need to recognise that, um, yeah, sexual harassment in schools is a real issue. It's become we're, we're becoming more and more aware of it with local reports, their recent reports and stuff, um, mm-hmm. of just how how big the issue is. But recognising the barriers to people talking about it is important. And so I think like yeah, I think MVP and things like the sexual violence prevention um, network in general in Scotland is just a really good really good um way to start improving things and hopefully bring down bring these numbers down that we're seeing because nobody nobody deserves to nobody should have to deal with this and um, nobody should have to face kind of 
sexual harassment um, in general and we should feel like a safe environment and that's something that hopefully this kind of prevention message as well as supporting the young people from a, an emotional side hopefully this is something that will bring those stats down and that, that's a great positive message to end on Sam yeah. and, and it links really nicely with what you said earlier about how when you go into schools where you know they've already done a lot of work on equalities um, and an empathy and, and, and supporting young people or they've maybe been an MVP school where you, you see a different conversation mm -hmm. happening and that that's a really hopeful message that the, mm -hmm. the prevention work and, and trying to have that culture change does work. And, and yeah. it's, you know, it's difficult and it'll be slow process and not overnight, but um, you can see differences. Um, so that's that's a great message to finish on. Thank you so much, Sam, from the Rosie Project speaking us today, giving us loads of great, good information and telling us really what you do. It's been a pleasure. So thank you so much. If anyone's listening and wants to find out more, you can go into the description for the podcast and you'll find the link to the website. Also, the link will be there for the Rape Crisis website as well. Uh, we'll also pop in the guidance documents for schools around kind of sexual harassment and how to look after young people. So just thanks again to the Rosie Project and thanks again Sam McPherson and look forward to having you join us on our next podcast.